Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Welcome to the Rugby Pod Beyond Expected series, presented by Asahi Superdry, official beer of Rugby World Cup 2023. In this series, we'll be talking to legends of the game as they tell stories from their career, the unexpected moments on the pitch, friendships and post-match beers shared off the pitch. Today, we're delighted to be joined by a man who was involved in the biggest upset in World Cup history and also captain Japan to the quarterfinals of a home World Cup. How big of a moment for rugby was the Japan beating South Africa at the World Cup back in 2015, lads? Massive for Japan, being the host nations in 2019. You think about the history that South Africa have in the World Cup. Massive favourites going into that game. And there was rumblings of Japan coming good. Some of the players that were going over to play in Japan, the national team coached Eddie Jones, Steve Borthwick, as well, the finance, the money that was involved. But yeah, it was an unbelievable shock. Like you look at the hysteria around it, it was on the news in Japan. It kind of brought the national team to prominence really in that country. So for the World Cup in 2019, it made that showcase even better. But to beat South Africa, the way that they did, that try in the corner, phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah, I remember being at Twickenham because it, obviously it was World Cup 2015, there was back-to-back games, it was down in Brighton that game, but I was at Twickenham working, I was hosting the fan zone bit with a couple of the guys, and we were watching it on the big screen, thousands upon thousands of people in the West Car Park at Twickenham were jumping and going wild when they scored in the corner, because they knew that was the victory, right? And that was the kind of feeling where, nothing against South Africa, because I love South Africans, I love the country, You know, I love what they do in rugby and the history and all that stuff, but... It was a giant killing. Let's you know, be honest about it. It was an absolute giant killing that day. And as Jim said, it led to you know, bigger things around the 2019 World Cup and the host nation. But just seeing how many neutral fans, not Japanese, my general impression of South Africans is people like them. Kiwis, you like South Africans? Love a South African. Yeah. So it's not like they're not liked people. But to see thousands upon thousands of people jumping for joy, pints going in the air when it's not your team just shows what a statement that was at the 2015 World Cup. So it was massive and it led to what was the growth of that Japan team leading into their own World Cup. And, you know, you saw the story there. They get to a court final and dusted off Ireland and Scotland in their group. It was damn good to see. But let's not forget South Africa got their retribution in that quarter final in Japan when they beat them. But hell of a tournament and hell of a day for the Japanese team. And remember in 2019, they completely changed the way they played. It was like a new style of rugby, wasn't it? Yeah, play with pace. Basically, and this is what I can't work out, everything that Japan did under Eddie Jones, why didn't he do that with any other team in England? He just wants to kick us the balls. And maybe teams looking at South Africa now have to go, well, there's a blueprint on how to beat a massive South African side. You've got to run them around. And they did. They they were accurate, you know, put width on the ball, played at a pace that you know, maybe South Africans underestimated them a little bit on that day. You certainly wouldn't do it now, but it was just a day that everything worked for Japan. They played at a pace and intensity and energy, width on the ball, beating people offloading that no one knew that perhaps they could do. And it shook the world, it shook the South Africans, and you know, it was great to see. Well, the man that was crucial in both those World Cups, and we crucial again at this one, joins us today, Michael Leach. How are you, mate? Okay, good, thanks. Good. Michael, great to have you, mate, as we embark on another World Cup. We're all really excited. How are you? How are things in Japan? How's the lay of the land over there? 
Well, that's good. We've uh, been training in the heat. It's been 32 degrees pretty much every day, so that's been a tough couple of weeks over here. Yeah. <laughs> I bet it has. I bet it has. 32 degrees sounds lovely. Scotland, it's not stopped raining. But like in terms of team preparation, like going into the World Cup, I know form has been a little bit up and down, but you've got a bit of history in w Rugby World Cups now. Yeah, I mean, the form of the team is coming together. I mean, we haven't um, got the results that we wanted, but um, we're playing good quality opposition and they're testing us, testing our structures, testing our discipline, obviously. So um, I think we're going to be very well prepared going into the World Cup, probably under the radar a little bit, but uh, that can work to our advantage. Yeah, and obviously looking at where you are as a group of players, you know there was all the sort of Ferrari around the 2019 World Cup in your home country. You were the skipper. It was the most unbelievable build-up. This one's very different, isn't it? Because you know it's in France. You know perhaps people aren't having as many eyes on Japan, but ultimately when you look at the group and the history of what Japan have done, beats the Springboks in Brighton in 2015, got to the quarterfinals in 2019, your home World Cup, and you're in a group where, as an Englishman, I'm bloody nervous, I ain't going to lie. <laughs> I, you know, people would say, oh, you know, England should come through that group, but Argentina, then Japan, for us two, are the biggest of games. You guys must be relishing that opportunity to knock over another big dog in, in terms of England and sort of repeating what you did in 2019 to... Ireland and Scotland, and then ultimately going after the English, eh? Yeah, but uh, not looking ahead too too quickly. We've got Chile up first, but um, in terms of that England game, you know, that's uh, you know, it's a massive game, and you know, going into the World Cup, it's almost in our DNA that you know we got the know-how on how to beat big teams at World Cups. So you know, we're really looking forward to turning up there and creating new history for the team. Yeah, and you talk about history. I think a lot of people in rugby now, casual fans, when you ask them who their second team is, a lot will say Japan because of the iconic moments, the win against South Africa in 2015 and the way as a country that you dealt with the World Cup and all the challenges that happened in the lead-up to the game against Scotland and stuff. Can you just give us an outline of rugby in Japan, like the hysteria around it? Because the World Cup was so iconic in 2019 for so many reasons. Yeah, so what? What started all off in Japan was um, that win against South Africa in 2015. So before that, you know, Japan hadn't won a, test, uh, a game at the World Cup. And so once we beat South Africa, you know, the whole nation was watching our game against Scotland. So, you know, you're talking about millions and millions of people. So that sort of got us on the, on the radar in Japan. And then from that, from that point on, you know, we, we beat Samoa, beat USA, and then you know, having the World Cup in, in Japan, it just built so much momentum. And obviously, going to the World Cup in Japan, you know, beating Ireland and Scotland, you know, they just just changed the whole dynamics of the game here. And, uh, you know, the fans, the club teams, you know, the players that come to Japan now, you know, we're getting top, top players in their prime coming over. So Japan rugby is, is still pretty popular. We'll come back on to Japan rugby in a bit, but just looking back on your history, you moved over to Japan as a youngster, didn't you? And you know, people look at this Japanese team and there's, as you say, there's, there's players from different cultures and backgrounds, but your backstory, obviously moving over there when you were younger, just loved the country, fully immersed yourself and led the country to some unbelievable victories. How much does it mean to you to be part of this Japanese setup and seeing that development that you've just spoken about from growing up there as a kid and then going all the way through to leading the country? You know, it's been an awesome journey. And I've always believed in the potential of the Japanese um, players. And that what people don't realise is that 
from a young age, Japanese rugby players, they train extremely hard. Like they train every day for three hours on a dirt pitch throughout the whole year. You know, there's so much effort that goes into you know, becoming good rugby players. So the work ethic was always there, but the national team didn't really uh, do well on the, on the international stage. So from, from a young kid, I always thought that was strange, you know, for, for a culture that works extremely hard not to have the results at the top. So by fortune, you know, we had Eddie James come over and he changed the mindset of, of the Japanese players. And then after Eddie James, we had Jamie Joseph and Tony Brown and built on top of what we built in 2015. So you know, the, the journey so far has been incredible, but, you know, Japan's still got so much more to offer. Yeah, I'm just really fortunate to be on that journey with the team at, at this stage in my career. You kind of reference there the kind of training that the Japanese players do. I imagine there's a cultural element to that as well. Like, can you just give us an insight into that kind of culture, the mindset, and then I suppose how important it is for coaches. I know Eddie Jones has got history in Japan personally for himself. I think he, is he caught a Japanese yeah. as well? And then Jamie Joseph coming in, and how important it is for them to embed themselves into that culture? It's, it's, it's slowly starting to change. I mean, from, from a young age, you train every day for three hours and now it's changing. So in, at universities, it's changing. It, it, when I was at uni, it was three hours every day on the field, three hours in the gym. So now it's starting to slowly change. We've got a lot more professional coaches coming over. And if we look at the professional leagues in, in Japan, a lot of the top coaches and top SNCs are from, from abroad. So slowly it's changing. I suppose we don't work for three hours straight. We, we break it up and have segments where we you know, work hard. It's hard to explain, but it's not it's not all old school. But the hard work part of it is still here in Japan. My English is quite rough. I need to I need to go get some English lessons. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. I've been is here it? for twenty one, almost twenty one years now. Eh? Just on that, so twenty one years. Like you mentioned the English. So your language in Japanese is fluent, fluent, right? As in, is that the go to? I know it might sound like an obvious thing to ask. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fluent. And all my interviews are all in, in Japanese, so I'm very comfortable doing everything in Japanese. But then when I start doing like these podcasts and English interviews, I can <laughs> Good on you, though. Babbling on. Just do it to us in Japanese. Give us some lines in Japanese. I'd love to hear that. <laughs> no, no. But, yeah, no, I've been here for well, 21 years, so I've been in Japan longer than back home in NZ. I'll probably be here for the rest of my life, too. You mentioned a lot of professional coaches coming over. Now you're seeing a lot of professional players come over as well more than ever and it seems like you've got half the All Blacks team from this year heading over that way next year do you sense that there's a real genuine power shift in not just Southern Hemisphere rugby but world rugby because there's Northern Hemisphere players heading that way as well and there seems to be a lot of lot of coin floating around in those clubs Massive, I reckon uh, in the next 10 years I think Japan's going to be the number one spot, it's probably number two at the moment in terms of uh, progressing a professional career I mean, Agreed Look at we're getting we're getting prime number tens coming over, not Mwanga coming over, Barrett's that coming over. And if we look at the across the team, across the club, sorry, we've got all the top coaches here. We've had uh, we've got Todd Blacker at Toshiba, we've got Robbie Deans, you know, we've got Vin Cotter, I think he's coming here. Dave Rennie. Dave Rennie. So, you know, we've got all the top coaches coming over here as well. And that's you know, that's just changing the dynamics of, of Japanese rugby. So we're gonna have a pretty exciting couple of years ahead of us music to my ears that i've lost 
17 kilos over the last six weeks. Anyone looking for an old fly-off? Because you mentioned world-class <laughs> fly-offs. I'm not, I wasn't world-class, I was shocking, but 43 years of age, I've lost a bit of weight. Any jobs going, basically? You, you've sold me the dream there. Maybe jobs everywhere for you, I think. <laughs> Come over here. But uh, we've got, you know, we've got first division, second division, third division, and just recently, you know, Sikom, a club like Sikom, they had a history of rugby, starting to pump money into their rugby programme again, and you know, throwing around some good coin I've been hearing, so... I'm, I'm going for D3 then. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Michael, it's really interesting. And this is something that we speak about. And we've got a massive UK audience naturally and everything that's happened in the premiership and something that we talk about. And we always reference the top 14. We always talk about Japan because ultimately sport, entertainment, money, all three go hand in hand. You're there in the centre of it. And I think you've just kind of referenced it there about being a powerhouse going forward. Is there a genuine belief amongst that and it's not a case of just rich owners throwing in money? Are the TV deals coming? You've mentioned the coaches, the S&C. Maybe just give us a little bit more detail for someone like you, which is going to be part of your legacy, right? This is going to be part of it. Not that you're retiring tomorrow, but you know what I mean. Yeah, um, I don't know I don't know if the mindset's there of becoming a, a powerhouse in the world. I think it's just coming, coming naturally. So a lot of the club teams over here are backed by massive companies. We've had some good cases in, in the past where, say, Eddie James is coming over as a head coach and won championships. And then Panasonic, we've had uh, Robbie Deans come over and win championships. So a lot of the club teams now are starting to, to hire you know, top-line coaches. Toyota, the, the head of rugby is um, Steve Hansen. So I think just by chance everything sort of shifts towards becoming a powerhouse, whether it's... Um, yeah, it's also investment though, isn't it? Yeah. but In money. But, but what, how I see it is well, we're getting coached by the best best coaches, the best SNCs in the world. We're getting, we're getting the best players in the world coming over here. So uh, in, in the next 10 years, I, see, I don't see a reason why we can't win the World Cup in the next 10 years, the way Japanese rugby is progressing. I think that's the, the next shift we need to have um, in Japan. We want players that you know, want to, don't want to just win, they want to win the World Cup. So if we can make that mind shift, I think this place uh, will start to really take off because we've got a massive fan base here, but really the, the guys at the top want to make that mindset shift. I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but um, yeah. It's great to hear that, that, isn't it? That actually Michael Leach says Japan should be winning the World Cup or have that desire to win the World Cup. We asked Steve Borthwick, in a press conference, you know, what, what's success? And he's like, just, we're going to take it game by game. So actually to have those goals and stuff, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And you see the momentum. And you know, I spoke to Kobe Steelers about 10 years ago about going over there. And then they realised that, oh shit, so they didn't follow through the contract. But I was de desperate to go out there and play at some point. And I think there's a lot of people, Freddie Burns is going back out there for a second stint. Some unbelievable players from this side are all looking at Japan as a major opportunity to go and you know, enjoy an amazing co country and culture and also educate themselves on rugby and help Japan grow even further. So I think it's brilliant. Let's talk about Eddie Jones then, mate, because you mentioned him a couple of times. He's had a massive impact on what we're talking about around Japanese rugby going back to 2015 and, and everything like that. He's had a big impact on your career as well. Give us some insight into Eddie. How hard is he to work with? Is he fun and games every day or is it a bit of stick and carrot as well. Um, well it's a bit of everything. Um, no, I really enjoyed working uh, with Eddie. You know, we had a really young team, well, an experienced team in 2012 when he first took over and he, he sort of believed in the potential of the Japanese players. So, you know, we worked out a mindset how to win us, get that mindset out of us 
he changed the, the dynamics of Jap- Japanese rugby, uh, changed the mindset. So once we beat South Africa in 2015, you know, everyone saw Japan, how players in Japan saw the national team as a, as a winning team. That changed everything across the board, like the high school Japanese players, the under-20s, the sevens, you know, it just changed everything. So, you know, working with Eddie was, uh, no, it was an awesome experience. It was tough, but it was good for everyone that was involved. Good. And what about Steve Borthwick as well? He's at the helm, but he did his apprenticeship there. You know, he loved his lineouts. Um, <laughs> he loved his lineouts. So he would have walkthroughs and everything had to be down to the finest detail. Otherwise, he'd get angry or something like that. So, But with you being captain and leader amongst that, because one thing you hear, and again, I'm just going based on England, you know, the engagement and one of his big work-ons is speaking to the media. I imagine he loved it in Japan because he didn't need to deal with that. But when you speak to people about him as a coach and his personality and his understanding of the game, did that transfer in Japanese, I suppose, into that culture? Oh, yeah, massive. Because, you know, Japanese people love detail, love hard work. So, you know, that's him. You know, that's him in a nutshell. So, you know, he got on really well here. But what people don't, don't realise about Steve is that this Japanese, by the time he finished at Japan, his Japanese was fluent. Like he was doing forward sessions in full Japanese. Really? Yeah, yeah. And he turned up prepared, you know. Knew everyone's names, speak Japanese. And that was awesome. Yeah, that was... Mate, that's just so cool to hear. Yeah, I played in France, and the best bit of advice I got given was go and immerse yourself in the French culture. It's very different to England, but go and learn the language, try your hardest. People will laugh at you for getting stuff wrong, but they'll laugh with you and then help you off the back of it. In Japan, obviously, it's a much tougher language to learn than French, I think that's fair to say. But is that an expectation of all the coaches over there to be able to be speaking in Japanese to a certain extent? No, I don't think it's an expectation. I think it's just if you try and speak Japanese, the more, I guess, open the Japanese will be to you, the more accepting. They'll probably make more of an effort to talk to you. If you only speak English, then for someone that's not great at English, they probably won't have those conversations, small conversations with you. So I guess it's like with any language, you know, if you're prepared to make mistakes and try, at least try then, yeah. you know, that's good for you know, creating those little small relationships. That's what we're doing now. That's Michael. That's what we're doing with you now. <laughs> We've mentioned it a couple of times, but let's get into it. The miracle in Brighton. Talk to us about that because they've made movies about it. Biggest upset in World Cup history. Walk us through that day and the build up to that event because no one was fancying you. And I don't suppose you guys gave yourselves as much of a chance as what you ended up having. No, I think what you said at the end there was um, was wrong. I think. And I, I truly believe we were going to win that game. We had the ability to win that game. There you go, Nero. You're wrong. Oh, it's good to hear. No, no this, this is how it is. I mean, the guys in our team, you know, thought they could win too, and they went out and gave it everything. So when you look at how we started the game, you know, we started off you know, 100 miles an hour, and that to me is evidence that we have to win the game, not go out there and fall down. No, that was an extremely mm-hmm. um, proud moment. Well, not so much winning the game, but how we approached it and how we started we prepared to beat them, and that's the difference. You know, we weren't preparing for Scotland the next week. We are prepared to take on the South Africans and beat them. And so to beat them fair and square with no referees or foul play or this and that, you know, it was an, it was awesome, awesome experience. Yeah, and to watch it unfold, I, I'm the same as Andy Rowe. Like, I didn't expect, of course, it's South Africa at that point had won two Rugby World Cups synonymous with Rugby World Cups and didn't see it coming. Did you realise when the final whistle went, the enormity of what just happened? I thought we'd lost when the final whistle went because I was at the bottom of the ruck. Probably don't see it. My <laughs> legs were cramping. 
I thought we'd lost. So when I got up, I saw my tight head prop running over and had tears rolling down his eyes. So at the time, I didn't realise what happened until, you know, going back to the hotel in Brighton and the whole foyer was packed with people. You know, you get free ice creams in Brighton and TV back home in Japan was going nuts, you know. We had so many people talking about the game for so long. It was almost became a distraction. Did you have any beers that night? Was it a big night out or was it just business as usual, get the sushi in and we're okay? For me, it was business as usual. No, we had to, first thing he told me after we'd won is like, we've got to focus on Scotland. <laughs> wasn't a don't celebrate we got Scotland <laughs> next week and then of course like after everything that went on in 2015 the expectations would have been through the roof for a home tournament for you guys how did that feel pressure wise going into that tournament were you guys conscious of the extra expectation yeah we're going to shy away from it we know the expectation was there and it's with us now I guess but no we had to just embrace it and we had a great four years working out Towards that 2019 World Cup, we had the Sunwolves, if you can remember. We could use that to develop our players and we're playing against quality opposition. We're playing against All Blacks, Ireland, France. So, you know, we, we knew that we could go to toe-to-toe with a couple of bigger teams. We just had to deliver and we did. Obviously, yeah, going into the group stages, the, the victories that you had there really set the tone. Scotland went home early and you get to the quarter-final. The pressure... Is it something that Japanese people embrace? Because obviously, culturally-wise, they, they work hard. Yeah, they want the detail. But pressure brings out different things. And, and it was obviously a change in mindset from 2015 to 2019 with everyone looking at you as now a hell of a rugby team. Respectfully, a hell of a rugby team, how they play. Some superstars were coming on the world stage. You get through the group to the quarterfinals. What was the pressure like dealing with that as skipper in your own country when... You know, the world is standing up and going, this Japanese team are one hell of an outfit, as opposed to, oh, they might win because, you know, we're excited to watch Japan. The quarterfinal, I think there's more pressure on South Africa than us. Uh, we were challenging them more than them challenging us. So I guess the mindset for us was just to go out and, and, and express ourselves and play our rugby, not so much worry about the result too much. But, you know, the pressure was there, but we had the whole nation behind us. You know, there's... People watching that game, there was what there was. I think it was one in five people or something like that in Japan watching that game. So as a skipper in that moment, that's how I like to think. Is I would hate to be in South Africa's shoes. Just imagine that meeting Japan and losing to Japan in the quarters. Well, that's what I mean. It's it's again like with South Africa, the expectation at World Cups is so strong. Obviously, went on to win it as well, and I'm sure playing Japan in the quarters was a part of that in the lead up because they meant business from then. So. As a captain, as a leader, I know things might look differently for you personally going into this World Cup, but what are the expectations of Japan? So when you actually look at your pool, everyone's talking about England, Argentina, a team that have got history, good history in Rugby World Cups. You've got Chile first up. Like, What is the narrative around Japan rugby at the minute and what is the expectation? For me personally, I, I want to win the World Cup and that's, that's my mindset and... Going back to what I said before, like we need players that want to go out there and win the World Cup. So, you know, I'm not looking too far ahead. You know, we've got the game against um, Chile up first collectively in the team. That's our mindset is to go out there and win the World Cup. And we've seen some superstars come out of, you know, maybe they weren't household names going into previous World Cups from the Japan team. Matsushima and players like that that have come through and, you know, they're now kind of everyone knows who they are. Who are we looking at outside of 
the big names in Japan for this World Cup because there's a frightening amount of talent at your disposal as a team. Mm. And there's always been some world stars that have, have stood up at, on the biggest of stages. It, you give us a little snippet into anyone that we should be watching out for. Um, Ahimino, he's always been pretty consistent. He played Islanders. Yeah. Um, had an awesome season. So he's, he's sort of filling into his body now too. He's 117 kgs. Um, his home, there's a young guy on my team called Warner Derns. He's two metres tall and extremely athletic. Um, maybe one guy to look out for. Or a young wing called Osada. He goes goes good. So, you know, there's a few guys that are going to be future stars of the game here in Japan. We're building a Can Pie 15 for this World Cup. So this is a fantasy 15 of players that you'd like to share a beer with. Opponents you might have clashed with on the pitch, but would be happy to spend time off the pitch with. Or teammates you've met in different countries over the years, or maybe someone with a reputation, has a big character, and someone that you'd like to share a post-match drink with. Can they be in my own team? They can be whoever Anyone. you like. Anyone. Be Jim Hamilton if you can want. Be me if you want. Yeah, back in the day, a bit of a legend, not so much now. Uh, probably my team. I'd go with uh, my usual buddies. Porikoshi is a young hooker. He lasts long, so he can. <laughs> yes. He doesn't go up and then go down. Um, he's got a great voice on him. Why? Well, no, he doesn't. He's got an average voice, which sort of evens it out and makes you feel comfortable singing. Who else? Uh, Fukui. He's good for organising the bar buying drinks and organising the taxi home, so I'll take him. Admin. He's rich. No, he's rich. Oh, yeah, rich. He's not rich, he's just... Um, <laughs> Fixer. And then Matsushima, I'll bring him, because he doesn't talk unless he's uh, got a couple Asahis down him. No, I, I reckon you, you've picked Matsushima because it's VIP. You yeah. get the front of the queue. <laughs> <laughs> they know Michael him. gets the front of the queue. He's the yeah, boss. Yeah, I know. But as in, but a young, you know, if he's got a family and stuff like that, you yeah. don't want to be at the front of the queue. If you're with Matsushima, it's like... You're straight mate, in. You're straight in the front. Pass VIP. the bouncers, off you go. All right, Michael, hey, thank you so much for joining us and um, best of luck knocking over England oh, at the World whoa, Cup. Whoa, And oh, keeping them in their pool. I want to say good luck in every game except for against England. I hope you beat Argentina, Chile, Samoa, and you qualify second in the group. I can't have, I can't say good luck. I'm English, man. I've got to support England. Thank you very much. We're going to be uh, everyone's second favourite team. So yes, you are. Hopefully we've got a heap of support over there in France. Yeah, you have, mate. Yeah, good luck. Enjoy it. Look forward to watching you, mate. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Cheers to that, Andrew. Yeah, cheers to that. Yeah. Top bloke. Top bloke. Imagine that, though. Like He's probably a massive hero walking around Japan, isn't he? From what he's done for the game, and how he's built as a team. They all talk collectively about the whole ethos around hard work in Japan, but he's been front and centre of it all. He has. And I'll be honest, I didn't want to say it to him. Been a bit let down with Japan. Just like they were built, building, oh, building, building. You reckon? Well, the money in the game. Yeah. That's the thing. People hate me for money. But the investment that they've got, and yeah. like he said, the coaches that are there, the stars. I heard Owen Farrell got offered big wedge to yeah. go. We want to. Oh, go and get better. Okay, don't want to. But yeah, Japan. I want them to do well. I really do because against England. Yeah, I do. Who yeah. would you rather win, England or Japan, in that group game? Japan. You're horrible, James. You're you're half English. Three I'm quarters a quarter, English. I'm a quarter English. Three quarters English. I'm a quarter English, that. but I'm a quarter of that side of the football? world. I'm a glory supporter. So there I support Germany or Spain. <laughs> you said when England are Italy. in the Euros or the World Cup, you want England to win. Yeah, but this isn't the Euros, is it? It's the this World is Cup. global. I'm quarter Asian. You're English. Um, you can't say you're quarter Asian I can. And, and support Japan. But, you're quarter Chinese. But it's like, yeah, but you, you can. It's like British and Irish Lions. That's my okay. affinity to Asia. There we go. Anyway. My Asian brothers. 
Michael Leach, what a bloke. Yeah, legend.